imagine a world that is very different from what you know. All the yellowfin tuna have died off in the oceans, creating a domino effect. Cats now eat dog food. Dogs eat baby food. And babies eat regular food. All the pets have died. Now, this is unrelated to the tuna dying. I know it seems like they would be correlated, but they're not. I, I just said that cats eat dogs, dog food, and dogs eat baby food, and you can't just now, then after I say that, say the pets have died. What doesn't make Can sense? You, Shut up. Can you just let me do it? All the pets have died, <laughs> causing an economic collapse of unprecedented proportions. Hamsters directly affect the price of Amazon stock. Hamsters are pets. Amazon became the owner of the actual Amazon, which led to the trees revolting and militarizing. Have you ever seen a tree attack a package truck? It's quite the sight. And we have also, we've gotten way off way topic. Way off topic, way off topic. Where were we? Uh, 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 economic collapse. Yes. Apocalypse. Ah, yes. The world economy collapsed, ushering in the apocalypse. Everything is now legal and permissible. You can do whatever you want, whenever you want. You can wear socks and sandals. And no one can stop you, although they definitely should. They really should stop They should stop you. You can go up, down escalators and down, up, escalators. Although you won't, that really won't get you anywhere. Yeah, nowhere fast. You can vape at any age. But, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But no one does. Nobody no does. One, no one does. No, but, but nobody does, because it's lame. It's super lame. Chaos ensues. People wearing one Nike shoe and one Adidas. Miley Cyrus is president and vice president simultaneously. All is legal. Yeah, you can own an endangered animal, like a, like a tiger or a bald eagle. For protection or for food, it's your choice, it's legal. Yes, that's why I said all is legal, except for one single act, which is simply known as the crime. Yes, the crime. The one thing that is, well, it, it's a crime. In fact, the government put out a catchy little PSA that gets stuck in everybody's head. It's sung by Justin Bieber with a sick hook by DJ Khaled. It goes like this. Do whatever you want and have a great time as long as you don't commit the crime. DJ Khaled. <laughs> yes! All is legal save one thing. One thing punishable by law. Yes, the crime. It's illegal. Totally punishable by law. Yeah, there are. But there are some who have no respect for this one law. Out there, they commit this crime, not just as an act, but seemingly a lifestyle. They live among us, only known by their actions. Many are accused of committing the crime. But many go free as there is not enough evidence 
to convict them. Their actions suggest that they, they never really committed the crime. They went to gatherings of people who have done the crime, but they themselves never do. They have family who have been convicted of the crime, yet they themselves have done nothing to earn such a conviction. Ah, the conviction. The conviction of the crime can mean many different sentences. Public humiliation. Solitary confinement. Social status stripped away. And many, many more. Tonight, we are investigating and canvassing for any who may have committed this crime in the area. Will you be accused? Will you be convicted? Now, you know this crime, okay? You know what it is, and you may have even committed it yourself. The crime is Christianity. Could you be convicted of the crime? Or are you only associated with those who have? Now, maybe you have friends and family who have committed the crime. Or maybe you have friends and family, like I just said, that committed the crime. Could you be guilty? Could you be convicted of this crime? If Christianity were illegal, would you be convicted? If the people closest to you were on the witness stand in a courtroom of law, would they prove your innocence or would they prove your guilt? If your friends and closest people around you didn't know that you were at camp right now or went to 4640, would would they know that you were a Christian? Maybe you, maybe you feel like you couldn't be convicted. Maybe you think that you could be, but you don't know for sure. Is there enough evidence for you to be convicted of being a Christian? Because in today's world, it feels like Christianity might be a crime, right? It feels like it's wrong, and it feels like you need to hide the evidence of your faith. And someone in the Bible did this. And that someone's name was Peter. And before we really get into that part of Peter's story, I want to talk about Peter and his life and understand him and understand that we are a lot like Peter and there's a lot that we can learn from him. You see, Peter was just a normal person, just a normal guy like anybody else. He was a fisherman. And when he first encountered Jesus in Matthew chapter four, verses 18 through 20, it says, one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew throwing a net into the water for they fished for a living. And Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. Now, imagine this with me, right? Picture yourself. You're out, on the, you're out in a boat on the sea, living that deadliest catch lifestyle, right? Wind in your face. Uh, the, the, the waves are crashing up. You're pulling up but a net. I don't know if these nets are fishing poles, how they fish today. I don't know. But anyway, all of a sudden, a man shows up and he says, hey, follow me. And I'll show you how to fish for people. Right? It's weird. Peter's first instinct is to drop whatever he's doing and run to him. But if I'm being honest, I would have some follow-up questions, right? Every time I read a story like this in the Bible, I'm like, wait, hold on. I have some questions. Like, first of all, what happened to the boat? Right? It says that Peter and Andrew just like dove over the side and went for him. Is the boat still out in the Sea of Galilee? I don't know. Is it just swimming around? What happened to all the fish that they had already caught? Are they just stinking it up and rotting in the boat? What happened? Is their boss mad? I mean, <laughs> they just left work. They didn't, there's no call, no show. Don't do that, by the way. That's a bad call. Anyways, I mean, what a weird career pivot, too, right? Come with me, I'll make you a fisherman. 
of people. That's weird, right? When I hear that, my brain is pretty literal sometimes, so I know that it's a metaphor. But when I hear that, I think of like a guy in a big floppy hat and like the vest with his fishing pole and he's in the mall and there's a crowd of people in front of PacSun and he's like, oh, got one, you know? Like fisher of people, that's just where my brain goes. And, and I mean, it had to be alluring, right? Alluring. That's a, that's a fishing joke. Thank you. Yes, I appreciate it. Anyways, moving on. It was so alluring that Peter chose to leave everything he knew to follow Jesus. And I think that it's worth noting that Jesus came to Peter first, right? We don't see Peter leaving whatever he's doing because he saw Jesus and didn't know him. Jesus called out to him. Jesus came to him first. And back then, you pretty much always went into the family business. So it's likely that Peter grew up in a family of fishermen. This was his life. This was his brother's life. This was his family's life. This is all that they knew. And Jesus showed up and offered him the same profession, but with a different target, a different catch. But Jesus came to Peter first. And I believe the same is true for us. Jesus chose every single one of us in this room before we chose him. And even though he chose us first, we still have to make the choice to follow him just like Peter. Something else about Peter that makes us like him is he held a special place among the disciples, among his peers. I mean, Peter experienced so many amazing things because he had a relationship with Jesus, a friendship with Jesus. I mean, multiple times, Jesus pulled Peter aside to pray with him. Multiple times, G Peter saw Jesus do miracles. He was in the garden with Jesus when he was betrayed. He was there when Jesus encountered Moses and Elijah. Peter was in Jesus's inner circle. They were close. And Jesus changed his name from Simon and called him Peter and stated that he would build his church upon him, upon Peter. Peter wasn't just an acquaintance of Jesus. He was a close friend. I mean, Peter saw Jesus heal his mother-in-law in Matthew 8. When Jesus arrived at Peter's house, Peter's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. But when Jesus touched her hand, the fever left her. Peter walked on water with Jesus Matthew 14, then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, said Jesus. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked toward Jesus on the water. Peter was close to Jesus. He was so close to Jesus that he even tried to correct Jesus. In Matthew 16, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Jesus, never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. It's safe to say that Jesus and Peter knew each other and they knew each other very well, which makes it all the more puzzling what happens next. You see, Peter ends up denying that he even knows Jesus. And Peter didn't just downplay their relationship. It wasn't like, yeah, I know him, but we're not really friends. Or yeah, we're, we're kind of like our moms know each other. It wasn't like that kind of weird thing. It was he flat out denied that he knew him. Luke 22, verses 54 through 62. So they arrested him, Jesus, and led him to the high priest's home. And Peter followed at a distance. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it, and Peter joined them there. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said, this, was, this man was one of Jesus' followers, but Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know him. There's the first time he denies him. After a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. No, man, I'm not, Peter retorted. The second time, but this one's a little different. Instead of 
instead of denying Jesus directly, he denies that he knows any of the people that know Jesus. About an hour later, someone else insisted, this must be one of them because he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. And at that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. Often we hear this story and and we forget that Jesus was within earshot of Peter. We forget that Jesus was present for this moment and it makes that rooster's crow that much more painful. It makes, it adds weights to those last words of weeping bitterly. I mean, have you ever messed up so bad that you instantly felt sick to your stomach? Maybe you said something about a friend that you knew if they heard, it would really hurt them. Or or maybe you started lying about something to get out of getting into trouble. Or maybe you found yourself in Peter's shoes. I remember back in college, I was so desperately trying to find myself and fit in with all my classmates that I, I started losing sight of who I was and what I believed in. And in an effort to seem cool to people who I didn't even know, I started to deny who I was and where I came from. And it, and it was not just like my beliefs, but it was also stupid, simple stuff too, like what kind of movies I liked or the music I was into or what kind of clothes I wore. I was a chameleon doing whatever I could to blend in, in every situation. Now, there was this particular group of people that I wanted to get in close with. Have you guys ever seen the movie Mean Girls? You know that the click, the plastics? So where I went to college, there was this group of people in the music department who were like the plastics, but not really because we were music nerds. So instead of caring about fashion and and being popular, we cared about like Mozart and Baroque music. And so not the plastics at all. But anyways, I began to hang around them trying to be like them. I I wanted to get in with them so badly. And and they were really into the 90s, ironically, but also unironically, because that's when we all grew up and we just were like hanging on to those things. But anyway, they were really into this one particular thing in the 90s. And it's kind of embarrassing, but it was the Spice Girls, right? And so they were really into the Spice Girls and the Spice Girls movie. Now, if you've never seen the Spice Girls movie, boy, it's a cinematic adventure that you need to be a part of. And so I pretended to be into the Spice Girls and the Spice Girls movie. Now, I know what you're thinking, right? You're looking at me. You're like, Sean, bearded, into like heavy metal and punk rock, into the Spice Girls? No, I wasn't. I hated every second of it. But I pretended to be into it so that I would get in and be popular with them. And they were also into musical theater and glee, and I participated in those things too. And guess what? I hate musical theater and glee. Like I can't, I, can't hand, I can't handle it. I'm sorry if that's what you're into. We can still be friends, but I was not a part of it. But I did it so that I, I could be friends with them. And, and I got to the point where I was, but they had no idea who I was, right? They had no idea who the real me was. I was denying everything about me. And you see, the worst part of it is, is this group of people, they were also, also atheists and frequently would make fun of Christians, of which I am, you know? And I constantly had to navigate this minefield of of not denying Jesus and denying my beliefs, but also like kind of poking fun at Christians a little bit and and trying to fit in and and keep up all these lies. And, And although I never directly denied that I believed in God or Jesus, I never directly and flatly said that I did. And by the way, that's denying Jesus. Why did Peter deny Jesus? 
Peter knew Jesus. They had, a, they had been through so much together. How could he have seen Jesus heal the blind? How could he have seen Jesus heal his mother-in-law? How could he have seen Jesus feed 5,000 and walk on water and, and meet with Moses and Elijah who had been dead and gone for hundreds of years? How could Peter have such a close relationship with him and still deny him? I think we need to realize that a lot of us are like Peter. We're all just average people with, with an extraordinary godly calling, right? Like God has called us all to do something extraordinary, just like Peter. And we all have a special place among the people around us in God's eyes, just like Peter. And most of us aren't just an acquaintance of Jesus as well. And Jesus knows all of us very, very well. And just like Peter, we may deny Jesus at some point in life, whether it's from pressure to fit in, or it's pressure to do what you want when you want. Or it's pressure from the world to tolerate untruth. Or it's pressure to conform to something that you don't really care or believe about. We will face a choice like Peter. It will come. And are we going to be like Peter and downplay our faith? Are we going to be like Peter and hide? Are we going to be like Peter and deny knowing Jesus. And, and this isn't just verbal, right? It's not just words. It's not just saying, I don't know him. This is our actions too. This is how we act at school when we're not around our church friends. This is how we act at home when our parents tell us to do something. This is how we spend our time. Are we scrolling through TikTok over and over? Are we reading the Bible? Are we praying daily? It's how we treat others. Somebody who's different than you. Somebody who believes differently than you. How are you treating them? Are you, are you saying through your actions and your words that you are a follower of Christ? Or are we saying that we don't know him? The truth is you will face temptation to hide, to blend in, to downplay, but you don't have to hear that rooster's crow. You can stand firm on the solid rock, the foundation of the earth creation and all that is within him. You have the choice to uphold the truth where false crown and subjects of our nation will try and press you like juice to grind your morality into pulp. Stand firm on the foundation where the crowd chants Hosanna and in the next breath crucify. Stand firm in the truth. Don't suffer the same heartbreak of Peter still standing soggy in his robes from when he walked on water and Jesus pulled him out when his faith gave out. How are you trying to avoid being accused of the crime of Christianity? Is it your sin? Is it the desire to walk the path of the world? Is it, is it trying to look cool? Is it avoiding hard truth? Because when Peter looked Christ in the eye as he remembered all that he had been through with Jesus, he chose to avoid his accusation. It's why he wept bitterly when he heard the rooster crow. Peter had been accused, and there was enough evidence there that strangers in the crowd could accuse him. But it was his own fear and his own embarrassment that caused him to deny his guilt. Peter's guilt is what kept him from a guilty plea. He knew he was guilty, but he was fearful for his life. He saw that Jesus was just arrested for this crime of Christianity and was going to be put to death. So what are you afraid of? What has you choosing to hide instead of standing for Jesus? Because Peter feared for his life. He feared that he was going to be killed. And I think that we all experience this same fear, but in different ways. It might not be death to us, but it might be death to our social life. 
It might be death to our popularity. It might be death to a friendship. It might be death to a habit. It might be death to video games. It might be death to something in our life we're not ready to give up. The truth is, even though Peter didn't choose Jesus at that moment, Jesus still chose him. And Jesus still chooses us even when we don't choose him. Jesus died in our place knowing full well that we wouldn't choose him always. And Jesus died in the place of people who would never choose him. The fact that he did it for us still empowers us to choose him, but it empowers us to choose him again. Even after we have denied him, he just asked for our sorry in our hearts. We must choose Jesus or the world. Jesus or the expectations of a coach. Jesus or my friends trying to get me to do something that I know is wrong. Jesus or my boyfriend or my girlfriend pressuring me into something that I know is sinful. Jesus over everything else. So, would you be convicted of the crime? Okay, so... Jesus talks about this another way that's really interesting in the Bible, about this idea of living out our Christian life, but there not actually being enough evidence in how we live our life. So I want everybody to close your eyes for a second. I want you to picture this, okay? You have been outside doing something cold. It's, it's like the middle of winter. You went up on the Mesa, all right? And I want you to picture whatever you like to do when it's cold. You went snowboarding, skiing. You went cross-country skiing. You maybe uh, went uh, hunting. Maybe you were out hunting and you've got deer urine on your boots and you don't know why you got deer urine on your boots. I don't understand hunting. I don't understand. That's not my thing. Uh, sledding, whatever it is, okay? And you are freezing. I want you to like picture in your mind your fingers and how they feel when they're cold and they almost hurt for some reason when they're cold and you didn't wear enough socks and your toes are cold and your nose, you know, it's just like Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer right now because it's super red. And I just want you to picture how cold you are, right? And you walk into the house and you're just like chilled to the bone. And your mother walks up to you with a wonderful, hot, warm cup of hot cocoa. And she hands to you, it's got extra marshmallows just like you like it, okay? And she hands it to you and you hold the cup and immediately the heat from the cup begins to warm your hands. And you're like, oh yeah. And you take a sip of that cup of hot cocoa and, and it, it hits your mouth and the sweetness is so delicious. And then you swallow it and you feel the warmth hit your throat and then it hits your belly. And then like the blood circulation of the warmth just feels like it circulates through your whole, your whole body and you just warm up. There's nothing better than a hot drink on a cold, cold day. All right, you can open your eyes. Now imagine, okay, now think about this. That is just a wonderful experience, right? When you're super cold and something warm is handed to you, that is just a beautiful, beautiful thing. Now, what if your mom like walked in and she handed you just like a glass of tap water, all right? And it was like the most fluoride-y, metallic-y, just lukewarm water you've ever tasted. It would not hit, it wouldn't hit the same way as hot cocoa would, absolutely not, right? You'd be like, thanks, mom. And you'd be like, I guess I was kind of thirsty, but you're still freezing. And so you're like trying to drink it, but you can't because you're still so cold, right? It wouldn't be helpful at all. And Jesus talks about this in the Bible when he talks about us as Christians living out our life. He says, Jesus talks to a church in the city of Laodicea. And he says this in Revelations 3, I know your deeds that you are neither cold, invigorating, refreshing, nor hot, healing, therapeutic. I wish that you were cold or hot. So what's Jesus saying here? He says, I, I know your deeds. Notice he doesn't say, I know your words. 
Meaning you can say all day, I'm a Christian. You can say all day, I love Jesus. You can say that all day. But he's going, I see your deeds. I see what you said to your mom the, the other night. I see how you're talking with your friends and those jokes that you're saying. I see the stuff that you're looking at on your phone late at night. I see your deeds. And they are just lukewarm. He goes on to say this in the rest of the verse. So because you are lukewarm, spiritually useless is what that means, and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out my mouth, rejecting you with disgust. Ouch, Jesus. Jesus, that hurts my feelings, okay? I'm saying I come, I'm a Christian. I love you, Jesus. And he's like, <laughs> Jesus could have said, I, I spit you out. It's like, oh, yuck. He could have said that, but no, he doesn't say that. He says, vomit you, rejecting with disgust. All right, this, this like reminds me of a story from actually camp here uh, a, a few years ago, okay? And so us as uh, the fellowships or 4640 staff got oddly good, all right, at catching marshmallows, like throwing marshmallows to each other and catching them. There's like videos of us using a water balloon launchers and launching them like 50 yards in the air and catching them, all right? We, we like, we'll be up in the cafe in 4640 and somebody else will be in the worship pit and we'll huck them and somebody will catch them, okay? We're really good at that and it is a not a very useful skill, but hey, we have it. So Pastor Will and, and one of the orange team leaders named Kyle right there, everybody wave at Kyle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah see? Uh, so they were tossing marshmallows back and forth, okay? And Kyle wasn't doing all that great, all right? And so, but, but and they were a, a long ways away. And so Pastor Will was throwing marshmallows a couple times and he just hadn't caught anything. So Pastor Will did this. So this is called Crisco, all right? Um, yeah, and he just happened to kind of do this, <laughs> and then he kind of balled it up into a marshmallowy shape, okay? <laughs> and he's far enough away, all right, that he, he throws it, all right? And now Kyle hasn't caught anything all day, all right? But, but Kyle honed in on this one, all right, let me tell you. And so he holds in on this thing, and he's like, he get, he's like ready for it, right? And he gets it in his mouth, okay? And he's so excited that he finally caught one. His hands go straight up. He's like, ah! And then he realizes something has gone horribly, horribly wrong. <laughs> and just as fast as his hands went up, he was like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> And he vomits and he rejects the Crisco with disgust. That's what he did in that moment. So Jesus says here that his followers, who he looks at their deeds, who are living lukewarm white lives, are nauseating. And man, I don't, I don't want to be that to Jesus. I don't want Jesus to look at me and be like, I love you too. <laughs> and I think not only does Jesus think that Christians can be nauseating, I think sometimes the world thinks Christians are nauseating. And I think they think we're nauseating because there's too many lukewarm Christians out there, they look at Christianity and they're just like, man, you're so judgmental and there's no, you talk about love, but there's no love. Or, or they look at you and they go, man, he's so prideful. I thought Christians were supposed to be like humble or they're so selfish. All they're thinking about is themselves. They're not serving other people or man, they're such hypocrites. They say one thing, but then they do something completely else. And I think the world is looking at us and they're seeing a bunch of lukewarm Christians at times and it's nauseating to them. And I think if we were honest, 
I think at times when we might even say that it's not that all great to be a Christian ourselves, when we look at our lives. But lukewarm Christianity is not what Jesus had in mind. So how do you become lukewarm? Do nothing. That's how. This weekend, you are going to spend more time worshiping, more time learning about Jesus, more time praying, talking to him, more time listening to him, more time probably reading your Bible than you maybe have all year long. And what's gonna happen right now in this weekend, and that's our prayer, is that you're gonna become on fire for God, ready and excited. That's our heart. But the thing is, you, can't, you have to leave this place. We can't stay here for the next 10 years and just every night and every morning there's a service and we're just, we're all, and so you have to go home back to a normal life. And then normal life, there's temptations to do nothing, to skip 4640, to skip that quiet time, to, spit some, to, to zone out during worship in 4640. Man, when I, this happened to me at your age. When I was your age, I went to every single youth conference. They were called like Acquire the Fire back then, desperation conferences. I went on missions trips to Mexico. I went on winter trip, uh, retreats. I went to camp. I did all of the stuff. And every time I left there, I was so on fire for God. I was just like, God is the best. I'm his. I'm gonna do everything all about him. So stoked for like two weeks, okay? And then I would, after like two, you know, I'd, I'd go home and I'd read my Bible for like, I'd stop watching that stuff that I used to watch or I would listen to only worship music and I would just be in the Bible, be in the word that whole time and I was doing it. But man, about two weeks later, I would start to just go like, oh, I'll just watch a little TV. Oh, I'll just skip, I'll skip reading tonight so I can do this. Or, oh, I'll just, I'll just talk to my friends instead of spending some time praying and talking to Jesus. And slowly, because I did nothing to keep that fire burning in my heart, I slowly cooled down. This hot water, okay? We boiled this hot water uh, before service. And man, it was steaming like crazy. And if you would have touched this water, all right, it would have burned the, ooh, it would have burned your hand, okay? But now, no? Why? Well, it had a heat source, right? And it was getting hotter and hotter, and then it was boiling, and then it was very hot. And now because we've done nothing to it, it's just gonna cool off. Same thing happens to us. Same thing happens in our lives and our spiritual walk with God is we're just gonna cool off after we leave this place. And Jesus describes a life though, a life that is on fire for him, a not a lukewarm life, but a on fire life in John 10. He says, I have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect. Life in its fullness until you overflow. Does that describe your life when you really look at your life? Full, just fullness, abundance, overflow. Can I be honest? I, there are moments, seasons, maybe even years where that does not describe my life. I really struggled the last year and a half. There's this thing, it was a little thing, I don't know if you heard about it, it's called the pandemic, okay? And... 
It was hard, okay? You couldn't do anything for like the first five months of pandemic. Literally, you were just, a t- I felt like a tub of water just sitting at home doing nothing. I couldn't even do the one thing that I like, feel like God created me to do, which is lead worship for kids. Like we, were, we couldn't even have a 4640 service. And so I sat there and did nothing. And I felt my, my spiritual walk and all this stuff, I felt myself cooling down. I did whatever felt, I felt was comfortable, whatever I wanted. I, I did Netflix, I did TikTok, I did so much TikTok, oh my gosh. Uh, exercise, junk food, I got really into Tillamook ice cream, all right? I don't know, it just hits different, I like it. And I felt like this bowl of water just cooling off. And it's been hard to kind of get out of that mode to get out of that lukewarm season. Because the truth is, it's easy to sit in lukewarm water. Me and my wife, Julie, we have a hot tub at home. And when that water's 104 degrees, it's hot and you're sweating a little bit and you notice it and you can feel like it's doing something. But if that water is body temperature, like 98 degrees, that is the most just like water. You could sit in that for hours and hours because you can't tell where you begin and the water ends because it's the same temperature. And that's how living a lukewarm life is. It's comfortable. You don't notice that you're in it because it's not changing you. It's not challenging you. It's not doing any of those things. But in those moments when we struggle in living a lukewarm life, we can realize our life doesn't look like John 10, 10, full of abundance and overflow. It just feels like it's full of difficulty or nothing, lack. And in those moments, it can be easy to look at God and go, why? God, blame him for all of those things. A lack of abundance, a lack of joy, a lack of fun, a lack of peace, a lack of comfort. But maybe it has less to do with God and what he's doing in our lives and a lot more to do with the lukewarm Christianity that we're living. See, lukewarm Christianity is draining and it's boring and it's unfulfilling. It lacks purpose, power, passion. It lacks refreshing, refinement, and reverence for our God. Life on fire for God, though, man, it's fun. It's exciting. And there's purpose in it and reward. To not end up in a life a lukewarm life, but on fire. It takes intentionality. It takes staying close to the heat source because if there's no heat source, this water's gonna stay lukewarm. And so it takes intentionality to stay close to the heat source. Who is Jesus? And spending time with him and worshiping him and being in the word. It takes takes intentionality. And a life on fire for God, you guys wanna know what it looks like? A life on fire for God has spent time in the presence of God and it's felt his power, his love and his passion for you. A life that has walked through the fires of life, the difficulties of life, the hardships, the trials, the stress, the drama, all the things, and come out the other side knowing that they have God who will never leave them or forsake them. This life is full of passion, it's powerful. It experiences healing, it experiences fun, and it's unashamed of who God is and living that life. That is life on fire for God. A life on fire for God is is in the word every day. It's passionately pursuing God in these worship moments. It's praying for God to do miracles in your life and in another life. A, A life on fire for God is hearing him speak and obeying what he says. 
reading the word of God and not trying to fit it to what culture is saying, but reading the word of God and saying, no, it is the word of God, the absolute truth, and I will live this out to the best of my abilities. That's a life on fire for God. A life on fire for God is serving others like Jesus served others. It's being generous with our time, our resources, our love, our kindness. Doing nothing, you end up lukewarm, but God can use a person who is sold out and on fire for him. So you know how that verse we read had said, like, Jesus would rather you be hot or cold. And some scholars who are probably way smarter than me, some translate that to going, God would rather you have be in, on fire for God, or out, just gone. He doesn't like you sitting on the fence. And that is true. God does not want you sitting on, on the fence of your faith. You should be in or out. But I don't know if God really wants us ever to be out. I don't know if he wants you to, he wants you in for sure. And so this hot or cold thing, I, I kind of wonder, maybe, maybe we look at it like a little bit differently. And maybe what it looks like is this. Okay, I'm going to see if I can do this right because I'm old. But it, maybe, maybe like being cold, you know, is like this. Sheesh! I'm talking about ice in your veins is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that. You know, they talk about that in basketball. When you got ice in your veins, that means when pressure, when it's like the game time, overtime, end of the fourth quarter, the pressure is on, that person doesn't even notice it. They can take the shot. They, they've got ice in their veins. And in your life, you're going to have times where pressure is gonna come. And what are you gonna do? Can you be, can you be ice in your veins? If, if you, you're cool, can you be cool under pressure? When the pressure comes, can you stay cool? When temptation comes, can you go, sheesh? When stress from school comes, can you go, sheesh? <laughs> I'm gonna do this all night, it's so fun. When drama comes with your friends, can you go, sheesh? Any other pressure in your life, pressure from your family, pressure from your friends, any of that stuff, can you go, sheesh? Cool under pressure, meaning nothing shakes you. Nothing rattles you. You got ice in your veins. And when that stuff comes, you stand firm on the word of God. The word spoken to you. You spend time firm on the relationship that you have with God. Look at this verse in Psalm 62, 6. It says, he alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold, and I will not be shaken. Psalm 62, 6. Gen Z translation would say, he's my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. Sheesh! That's what it would say, guys. And here's the truth. A life on fire for God with ice in your veins, that is a life worth living. All right, so. Yeah. That deserves applause. Okay, okay. All right, so the rooster has crowed. Peter's denial of Jesus has come true. 
Jesus has been killed and we find ourselves back where we started, in a boat. Peter and some of the other disciples reeling from what they've just witnessed, Jesus' death, unsure of what they're supposed to do now, went back to the one thing they did know. They went fishing. They returned to their old life, their old ways. Peter, probably filled with shame and regret and pain, decided to go back to the life that he had before this. And I, and I think that this is a normal response, right? We, we have all felt that from time to time when we mess up right? Or we sin, we, we find ourselves wanting to go back to the old ways. We find ourselves wanting to go back to how it was before we had a relationship with God and hide and, and turn our back on him and sin and all that stuff and, and keep ourselves away from him. And so it's almost like we've disqualified ourselves from coming back to him. So we decide to go back to what we know and we can easily slip back into that lukewarm life, right? That water that is just sitting there. That one little thing, that one mess up can send us straight back to just nothing. The lukewarm life where you're scrolling instead of praying, where you're, where you're gossiping with your friends about that, that kid at school that you don't like very much instead of going and serving them. Hot water or cold water left in the room will eventually turn lukewarm. But the truth is Jesus wants us in those moments of turning back to the lukewarm right? He wants us in those moments of where we're unsure and we're going back to our old ways. And just days after Peter denied Jesus, Jesus showed up to them on the seashore near where Peter and his buddies were fishing. And Jesus yelled out to them in John 21, 5 and 6. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Basically, Jesus asked them, how's that working for you? How's it working for you living life without me? How's it working for you going back to that lukewarm life? How's it working for you? Try it my way. And Peter, recognizing Jesus, dives over the side of the boat and goes after him. You see, Jesus was extending the invitation for Peter to come back. He was saying, I want you with me, so come home. I, I know what you've done. I know what you've said. I was there. I don't care. I want you back. And Jesus welcomed the disciples back, and they sat down, and they ate a meal together right there on the beach. And what happens next is truly amazing. It says in John 21, 15 through 17, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, and I think it's interesting that he called him Simon again instead of Peter because Peter chose to go back to the old way. So Jesus always meets us where we're at, right? Jesus is always going to meet us where we're at, whether it's backsliding, whether it's lukewarm, or it's whether we're on fire for God. Jesus is always going to meet us right where we're at. And so he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. And just as Jesus den or Peter denied Jesus three times, Jesus welcomed Peter back three times. 
He called him again three times. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. Take care of my sheep. Jesus was reinstating Peter, showing us that there's always a door open back. There's always a way back to where Jesus left or where we left him. There's always a way back. And so Jesus was extending that invitation out to Peter. Peter was still loved by Jesus deeply. And even though Peter denied him three times, Jesus still died for him. And in the face of betrayal, Jesus still chose Peter. And in the face of betrayal, Jesus still chooses us. Jesus wants to extend that same invitation to us tonight, I feel. And so what we're gonna do is I'm gonna have some, some room leaders come down, some staff come down. We're gonna line the front of the stage here. And we're gonna get ready to pray with you because I feel like there's some of us in the room who have walked away, who have gone back to that lukewarm life, who have stepped away from where Jesus has called us to. We're not on fire anymore. Maybe we've even denied Jesus. And Jesus is saying, come back. Come back, I love you. Come back, I want you. Come back, I'm ready for you. I want you in my life. And Jesus is so in love with you and he doesn't care where you've denied, where you've stepped away. Jesus is extending that invitation to you tonight. And so what I want us to do as the room leaders come down is I want everybody to close their eyes and bow their heads. And I want you to really, really think and pray on the inside. Have I stepped away? Did I deny? Do I need to be welcomed back? Does, does Jesus need to welcome me back? Am, am I in the boat or am I on the beach with him? Maybe it's because you're afraid of, of hurting a friend's feeling. Somebody who believes something different than you and, and they're pressuring you to accept them as they are, but you know the truth and you love them still and you're caught in the middle so you, you've pretended not to believe. And so I wanna challenge you students tonight is if you feel like you need to come home, just like Peter ran to Jesus, I wanna invite you to come down. I wanna invite you to come back, physically stand up out of your seat and walk down here and get prayer with one of our altar workers. Come back. I think it's really amazing that Peter dove out of the boat and swam to Jesus after he had already denied him. And I wanna challenge you that if you've walked away and you feel like you need that invitation, you need to come back to him, come down. down now. can't contain, I can't control, I need more of you, God, I need more of you, God, set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, I can't control, cause I need more of you, God, I 
I need more of you, God. Set a fire down in my soul. I can't contain, I can't control. I need more of you, God. I need more of you, God. I need more of you, God. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, I can't control. I need more of you, God. I need more of you, God. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain. I can't control, I need more of you, God. I need more of you, God. Again, uh, again, students, we're, we're coming down if we need that extended invitation back to come back to Jesus. This is not a time where we're, where we're talking with our friends, where we're walking around the room. If you feel like Jesus is calling you forward, you feel that tug on your heart, I wanna encourage you to come down and get prayer right now. But this again is a, is a worshipful moment. So if we're still in our seats, I want us to be praying. I want us to be praying about ways that we can, we can be on fire for God. What does it look like when we get home? What does it look like when we leave this room, even tonight, when we go out from here to our dorm room? What does it look like? How do you stay on fire for God? But if you feel like Jesus is calling you down for prayer to come away from that lukewarm life, please come forward. Sit a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, I can't control. I need more of you, God. I need more of you, God. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, I can't control. I need more of you, God. I need more of you, God. I need more of you, God. the fire of your love. 
here in the, in the seats, would you just stand and sing with me, please? Yeah, keep me burning, keep me burning with the fire of your love. Come on, sing that with me. Oh, forever, keep me burning, keep me burning with the fire of your love. Cause I need more of you, God I need more of you, God Set a fire down in my soul That I can't contain, I can't control Cause I need more of you, God I need more of you, God As the last few people are finishing up praying down here, I want to speak to a different group in the room now. And so maybe you've been hearing this whole thing, this whole lukewarm life, how I've walked away from my faith, how I've downplayed my faith, how I've, how I've downplayed my relationship with Jesus. And maybe, maybe we go all the way back and we're talking about the crime and you think, man, I'm not even, I'm not even in the conversation. I'm not even in the boat with the, with the guys fishing. I don't, I don't know Jesus at all. Maybe there's some of us in the room who have never met Jesus at all. And so what I wanna do is the same exact thing. I wanna invite you down. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, or even if you're unsure, or, or even if you think you might have a long time ago at kids camp, but you're not sure, I wanna invite you to come down. And I want you to, to come get prayer and, and meet Jesus for the first time because it's not only those who are lukewarm that have walked away that Jesus is saying, I want you. It's those who don't know him either. Jesus died for every single person on this planet, every single person, whether they choose him or not, Jesus put his life in your place. And so if you are ready to take that step, if you are ready to start this life on fire for God and to step forward changed into a new creation, I want to invite you to come down now. the fire of your 
love and oh forever keep me burning keep me burning with the fire of your love and so scary. It's kind of intimidating to come down in front of everybody. And so if, if you're still in your seat and you're, you're wrestling with that, we're, everybody's going to pray it. Just so everybody feels comfortable. Everybody in the room is welcome. Everybody gets saved. And so um, just repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. Jesus, thank you that you died on the cross and that you rose again to pay the price for my sins. Jesus, I believe that you are God. And I ask now that you would be Lord and Savior of my life. Please give me a home forever in heaven. Thank you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Thanks for listening to the 4640 Student Center Podcast. For more information on what's happening in 4640, you can check us out on social media and at our website, 4640gj.com. Service times are Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Hope to see you there.